guest today, Mr. Joe Dispenza, a huge influencer on in my life, uh, and he will be on yours soon. Welcome, Joe. Hey, I'm happy to be with you, Ben. So, I mean, I know you've just released a new book, and we're going to get to that because I'm super excited to read that, just like everybody else. But the, you know, actually, ironically, the guy that's in the room with you there right now was the one who introduced me to you for the first time in 2014, and I uh, looked at your book and. Like a lot of my listeners, um, you don't even you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know what uh, your life could be if you actually took some time to take control of your thoughts and to plan out your life is one of the things that you're a big advocate of. Um, and I just want to start walking down that path into how you started to realize this kind of stuff is possible. So if, you know, a lot of my listeners are, are aware now of who you are because I talk about a lot of your stuff in uh, in my members forum on my my social media. Um, you know, Joe is known for being the guy to change people's minds. You know, is, is uh, correct me if I'm wrong enough. Was your first book, but breaking the habit of being yourself uh, is a life-changing book. And uh, you know, I want to just start talking to how you found this path because you have a very interesting story. Sure. Um, I think for some of us to wake up, we need a wake-up call. And in 1986, I was in a triathlon in Palm Springs, California, and I was on the biking portion of a race and. I was making the turn <clears throat> to merge with um, the, on, um, the ongoing traffic. There was a police officer uh, on the corner, and he was kind of pointing at me and waving me on to make the turn. And there were two cyclists on the corner, and I was passing those two cyclists. But when he was waving me on, he had his back to the oncoming traffic. So the moment I turned, uh, this four-wheel drive Bronco going about 55 miles an hour just hit me from behind and uh, dragged me down the road. And I wound up breaking uh, six vertebrae in my spine. I had uh, compression fractures, bone fragments on my spinal cord. Uh, the neural arch of uh, one of the vertebrae was broken like a pretzel, and and I had cord compression, and uh, I was in trouble. Wow. And, and so um, in cases like this where you have that kind of a radical fracture of your spine, they do what's called a laminectomy, where they cut off the back parts of your vertebrae. And in my case, it would be from the base of my neck to the base of my spine. Then they screw in these stainless steel rods, and then they take bone fragments from your hip, and they paste it over the top. And when they drill the, the, the uh, rods into the spine, it acts as a cantilever to pull the, the, the bone fragments off the cord. But they told me if I didn't have the surgery, four opinions from four of the leading surgeons in Southern California, they said if I didn't have the surgery, I, I wouldn't be walking. So. Um, after uh, a week of uh, battling my analytical mind, I decided to not have the surgery, which in 1986, it was just unheard of. I mean, they thought I had post-traumatic stress disorder, that I hit my head or something. And um, so I started on my journey. And I said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. Uh, maybe I can heal myself. Uh, and I was willing to risk it. And uh, so I started doing some inner work. And I just started to see if, I, if I, my thoughts could produce an effect. And uh, it took me about six weeks of um, practice, but then all of a sudden, after six weeks, I started noticing some profound changes in my body, and my pain levels, and my numbness, and my and my uh, motor problems. And that's when I knew then that I was onto something. And so um, I was back on my feet in ten weeks. Uh, I was back training again at twelve weeks, and I just made a deal with myself, and that was if uh, I'm ever able to walk again, I spend the rest of my life. Uh, studying the mind-body connection and mind over matter, and I've been doing that since 1986, yeah. For you, man. So I think all of our listeners will be extremely interested to talk about, or to hear you talk about, what went through your mind in that first 10 weeks? Because if you're laying there in a hospital bed, 
that's got to be the hardest time for you, right? Is because how do you have a belief? Most people won't sit down to meditate for three days in a row. You, you manage to sit there, and I'm going to speculate and assuming you're some, doing some type of internal reflection, so some degree of meditation. Um, how did, what was going through your mind for those first six weeks, and how did you allow yourself to stay positive and focused? Obviously, you're a focused guy if you're a triathlete previous, but uh, walk us down that, that path of the first couple of weeks. Well, it's interesting because um, <laughs> after you have an accident like this um, and you're pretty uh, out of balance, I think when crisis or trauma or something like this happens in our life, what we do is we tend to focus on what we don't want to have happen instead of what we do want to have happen. And that's because when we're in the fight or flight response or when we're in that survival state, we're always trying to predict the worst thing that could happen so that if anything less happens, we have a better chance to survive, right? right? So, so <clears throat> when I left the hospital, I said, look, there's two things I want to do. There's an intelligence within me that's given me life, that's keeping my heart beating, digesting my food, organizing all these functions. It's got a mind much bigger than my mind. I don't know how to do any of those things. I can't heal this body, but it can. So I came up with the idea like, well, if the power that made the body heals the body, then I just got to make contact with this intelligence. And once I make contact with it, I got to give it a plan, a template, a design. I got to let it know what I, what I want, get very clear on my intention. And then I got to surrender it to a greater mind and allow it to do the healing for me. So that was the first thing I said. The second thing I said is I'm not going to let any thought slip by my awareness that I don't want to experience. Now, that sounds really good from a philosophical standpoint. Very, very challenging. But when you're facing paralysis, yeah. I would start my inner work and start reconstructing my spine. And the next thing you know, I start thinking about living in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. I'd stop and have to start all over again because that wasn't what I wanted. That was the wrong signal I was giving it. I'd start again and the next thing you know, I'd be thinking, should I sell my practice? Should I sell my home? There I go again, back to the other, the other ideas. So it was a pr constant practice. And then I would get frustrated and get impatient. And then it got worse. And so I... I it took me sometimes three to four hours every day to go through that inner work sure. and it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't easy but after that six-week period of time uh, I started getting better at paying attention and paying attention is being present and it's a skill the more you practice it the better you get at it and right around this time um, what was taking me you know three or four hours to do all of a sudden it started getting easier it started taking less time and the once I started seeing that, I knew that I was firing and wiring new circuits in my brain and I was getting better at paying attention. And now when I finished it, I felt like I hit a tennis ball right in the sweet spot. I felt like I, I hit a golf ball just right. Something would just start clicking. And that's when I knew that I was developing some skills. So, so I mean, you know, think about it. You're with your best friends and they're all sitting around the hospital bed. And um, you know you're in trouble in your life when they tap you on the shoulder or you know, give you a hug and say, we know you'll make the right decision, which really means I'm so glad I'm not you. So, so um, you know, it was a really a, a powerful initiation for me in my life because it was really, I had to weigh what I knew against what I didn't know and, and um, I'm so glad I didn't have a surgery you know, because so, I don't have any pain in my back and I, I live a normal life now. So I know a lot of the listeners out there are probably the most egocentric people you would ever encounter in your life. As you can imagine, people who are very into their physical appearance are. Um, how, I'm guessing at some point during that journey, you saw, you, know, you say you hit the golf ball straight on the head with the tennis ball, and you had some degree of epiphany. Um, can you 
describe in any way how that felt to you? Because uh, I think a lot of people are looking for that tangible breakthrough point that really allows it to stick for them. Yeah, I have to tell you that uh, um, I went through a dark night of the soul that first six weeks because um, when you're in a dark night of the soul, I think you realize that nobody has the answers to your life but you. Mm -hmm. And no one's gonna, no one's, no one knows what it's like to be you because they're not you, and you might as well not even ask them because they're gonna give you their experience instead of your own. So when I was, when I was getting frustrated and I was getting impatient and and losing um, my cool, I noticed that my focus got worse. But when I started getting really grounded and I started really trusting and started surrendering and playing with it a little bit more. Uh, I wanted to get from the beginning of my rehearsal of reconstructing my spine all the way to the end without taking a turn off on the wrong exit. And so all the times that I had been practicing were the times that I was actually changing. So it, at all of those moments led up to that one moment where I started and I went to the end and when I finished I was able to hold my focus. I didn't wander anywhere in my mind. And there was a physical sensation in my body that felt right. It felt good. It, I felt connected. It felt like I, I knew. I knew what I was doing was working. And then the moment I had that connection, from that point on, when I started noticing the changes taking place in my body outside of me, I started paying attention to what I was doing inside of me, but now I did it with more passion. I had momentum. More music. Yeah, I was connected. Now, now I knew. Like now, it's just like all the work you do and training for anything. Is in the beginning, it's really hard, but then when it starts getting easier and starts getting fun, you start enjoying it, and that's what happened. I started looking forward to my meditations. I, I couldn't wait to get back in there and refine it a little bit more. It, it was just my world. I mean, I had nowhere to go. I wasn't going to go. I couldn't train. I couldn't go. I was laying face down, you know, and just. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just working with myself, and so, so it was a great time. It was a difficult time, but um, I learned a lot about myself and a lot about um, the healing process along the way. It's kind of one of those situations where your greatest curse is also your biggest blessing. The fact that you're there in bed forced you to have to sit with it and deal with it, and that's what most people don't want to do: is they get frustrated and like, "I'm never going back." Whereas in your case, you were forced to stay there. So, assuming somebody's sitting down to meditate for what is the first time, or they're a relative beginner. What types of things should they expect? And, um, you know, I, I want uh, setting expectations for people is, I think, the most important thing to um, allowing them to achieve success. So I want to know, like, in the first month of, of this meditation practice, you're uh, teaching people. What, what are the expectations? Well, look, I mean, I'm not a traditional guy that takes things from any religious sect, any tradition, any culture. I think when you do that, you tend to divide an audience. I mean, I'm a scientist, and I think science is the contemporary language of mysticism. I think science demystifies the mystical. And the moment you start talking religion or culture or tradition, you divide an audience, but science creates community. So you combine a little quantum physics with a little neuroscience, a little neuroendocrinology, a little psychoneuroimmunology, a little epigenetics. All of those sciences point the finger at possibility, but not in an intimidating way, in a simple way. So our meditations that we teach are not meditations where you're going to sit and contemplate your navel. It's not just what we do. We're, we're science-based. We know what words, we know what things, what activities create more coherence in the brain and the heart. We know what it takes to alter a person's uh, states. We've measured it thousands and thousands of times. So in our meditations, 
we start off by telling everybody, look, you already know how to do this. You just forgot because you're too busy and too distracted. And most people, uh, to finish the thought from our last conversation, wait for crisis or trauma or disease or diagnosis or loss to finally change. It's got to get so bad that they no longer feel like themselves any longer, that they can see what they look like for the first time. So everybody that's listening on this call has done something great in their life. And what did they do? They got a wild idea. They got a new idea. They asked themselves a question like, what would it be like to be healthy? What would it be like to be wealthy? What would it be like to be in a new relationship? What would it be like to be happy? The moment they ask that question, they turn on the creative center in their brain. They turn on their frontal lobe. Now, frontal lobe's got to get busy creating. So it's got to use the raw materials in the brain. It's got to use the circuits of things you've learned intellectually or philosophically and the things you've experienced in your life. So the frontal lobe's got to answer the question. So it looks out over the landscape of the brain and it starts activating different circuits. And when it seamlessly pieces it together, you get a vision in your mind that's called an intention. Now, a passionate person who has that vision, the thought in their mind becomes the experience. They start to feel the emotion as if they're already there ahead of the event. And when you combine a clear intention with an elevated emotion, you're changing your energy, you're changing your neurocircuitry, you're changing your chemistry, you're changing your genetic expression. You're no longer living in your past. In that moment, you're living in your future. So being defined by a vision of the future is what our work is about instead of the memories of the past. So what do people, what, what should they do then? Write down the choices you gotta make and make sure you commit them to memory. Review the things you gotta do. Review the behaviors. Think about the experiences, your goals in that future and how they feel and keep reviewing them. Keep your conscious mind on them. Now, the most important thing is to review the thoughts that you don't want to think. You know, I can't, it's too hard, I'll never change, this won't work for me, it's my mother's fault, it's my father's fault, it's my ex's fault, I don't feel like it, whatever it is. Write those thoughts down and become so conscious of those unconscious thoughts that you would never go unconscious or believe them again. Write down the choices you got to stop making. Think about the things you no longer want to do, the habits you got to break, the experiences you got to stay away from that are connected to certain people in certain places, and the emotions that are going to bring you to a lower denominator. And you got to become so conscious of that 95% of where most people live that you won't go unconscious and return back to the old self. That's the work right there. So that that process is what we all innate, innately are wired to do anyway it's just that you got to make the time to do it and that's the key right there most people don't want to make the time i love that and, and that's why myself and all my followers love what you do so much is because you are the guy bridging the gap between the theoretical you know the woo and the science and i think that's absolutely fascinating and and walking down you know as i read your books walking down the path of what's actually happening inside your body when you're having these healing moments where you're healing yourself inside or you're having these transitions and experiencing a negative thought or a negative emotional feeling inside your body um are, are, can you give people something to latch on to that allows them to uh, understand what that's supposed to feel like and then how, how obviously to walk down the path of changing it <clears throat> look i mean you have to think about this i mean <laughs> the fact that you can think about what you're thinking about makes you wonder who's doing the observing of those thoughts, right? The fact that you can be aware of what you're thinking means you're not the thought. You're the executor or the controller of that thought. You're the consciousness that's executing that thought. So most people think, well, just because I have a thought, it's true. That's not true. Just because you have a thought doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Emotions and feelings are a record of the past. 
So if you're feeling the familiar emotions every single day of unhappiness or unworthiness or insecurity, then you're starting your day from the past. And if those emotions are driving your thoughts and you can't think greater than how you feel, then you're thinking in the past. And for the most part, your day is gonna stay the same. So the first step, without a doubt, Ben, is getting people the right information. The more knowledge you have in understanding how you work and how your brain and body works in a simple way, the better you have the operating manual to take care of yourself. So then we sit people in our workshops sometimes and they're gonna sit there for a period of time. And they're gonna sit there and I'm not gonna let them get up. And you know what? They're gonna have to get beyond their fear. They're gonna have to get beyond their hatred. They're gonna get beyond their prejudice, beyond their anger. They gotta get beyond it. And and yeah, well, you can say, yeah, it's that person that caused it. Okay, well let's take that person and put them in a straight jacket, duct tape them and shoot them up to the moon. So now what? Now what are you gonna do? You still, on some level, have to make some type of substantial change. So we teach people that knowledge is the forerunner to experience. The right information and understanding it, understanding how you work and all of that, is gonna prepare you for a better experience in your life. That's the name of the game. So then, <clears throat> we, once the person has that knowledge and information, then let's set up the conditions for them to apply it. So. Most people, when they reach that crisis point, when they're, when they're sick or they're out of balance or whatever, that's the point when they decide to change. My message is why wait? Take, take 45 minutes every day and just write down the things you want in your life and start feeling the emotions of how it would happen. And then see if you can stay in that state your entire day. And if you can, you should start seeing synchronicities and coincidences and opportunities and doors opening for you because you're not the same person any longer. And, and that's cool because you don't have to be a physicist or a neuroscientist or, or an academic or a saint or a priest or a rabbi or any of none. You just have to be a common person. Just like you learn any skill, once you learn how to do it, it gets easier and easier. And that's what I want for people, to make it easy. I love it. And so... We speak about awareness, Joe, and, and you know, becoming aware probably seems to be step one in everything. You need to be aware of your negative thoughts. You need to be aware of your unconscious patterns. Is meditation and getting uncomfortable, in your, from your perspective, the fastest way to awareness? Well, look, I mean, let's face it. There's, there's, when, you are, when you're living life, a lot of your attention is on your outer environment. And what is your outer environment made up of? Bodies, people, things, objects, places, and time. A lot of our attention is on our body, you know, how we're feeling. Are we hungry? Are we tired? We're angry? We're frustrated? We have pain? And a lot of our attention is on time, you know, like how much time do we have? Where do we have to go? What do we have to do? And, and it's the act of keeping your attention on your body, your environment, and time that all of a sudden keeps you separate from your inner world of thoughts and feelings. So that we love this idea of teaching people how to sit down and disconnect from their outer environment. If you're listening to soft music and, you're, and you have your uh, blindfolds on or your eyes closed, you're less likely to be influenced by your outer world. Mm -hmm. If you're sitting still and you're not getting up and moving and feeling and experiencing and tasting and smelling and eating, then less information is coming into you as well. And if you're not thinking about where you need to be tomorrow or what you have to do later or what happened yesterday, but you're in the present moment, Meditation is the perfect way 
to make your inner world more real than your outer world. Now you can execute thoughts. Now you can drive your attention in a certain way. You can become aware while you're sitting there that you're sitting there and all of a sudden you're getting angry for no reason. Well, what's up with that? You're just sitting there and you're angry. That should tell you that your body on some level is craving that emotion. So when people start to understand they may be addicted to anger, and I'm allowing them to sit there and work with that anger and keep bringing their body back to the present moment. They're training their body, just like you're training in your gym. You're training your body to no longer be the mind and the act of doing that over and over again is you're training the animal. And sooner or later, the animal's gonna go, I'm not the mind, <laughs> you're the mind, I'm gonna let go. And it, when it finally surrenders, the person gets a biological upgrade. And that biological upgrade happens in a matter of seconds. So. I love this because you don't have to, you, they, uh, you can't tell me you're too old to do this. You can't tell me you're too out of shape to do this. You can't tell me you're too sick to do this. You can't tell me your past was too brutal to do this because I've seen transformation in all shapes and sizes. So if 95% Ben of who we are by the time we're 35 years old is a set of memorized behaviors, automatic unconscious habits, emotional reactions, beliefs, perceptions, and attitudes that function subconsciously like a computer program, then in order for us to change then, we gotta dive into that operating system and become conscious of it. And the word meditation literally means to become familiar with. So you gotta become familiar with those thoughts, those emotions, those behaviors, and become so familiar and conscious of them that you would never go unconscious again. And then you gotta decide what thoughts you do wanna fire and wire in your brain. You gotta rehearse mentally who you're gonna be. And the act of rehearsing and thinking about who you're gonna be, planning your behaviors, begins to install the neurological hardware in your brain to look like that experience has already happened. Now your brain is no longer a record of the past. Now it's a map to the future. Now, if you keep doing it, firing and wiring, the hardware becomes a software program. And the next thing you know, you're thinking like a happy person. You're acting like an unlimited person because you would put the circuits in place. And then the last step is to teach your body emotionally what that future is gonna feel like before it happens. And if you keep cultivating those states of mind and body, neurologically and chemically, it's going to begin to become familiar to you. And you're gonna go from one personality to another and the disease or the problem is going to exist in the old personality and you're literally someone else and the person doesn't have to visualize their cancer going away they'll just tell you the cancer was in the other person i i just i'm somebody else it doesn't can't live here and and the disease naturally goes away so it's a side effect of a change amazing so all of this keeps coming back to we, when I walk around on a day-to-day -day basis, I literally envision everyone as asleep. I envision zombies, <laughs> not to be crude, but that's the reality. And, and envision, I envision everyone having zero awareness of their day-to-day -day routine, zero awareness of their environment, zero awareness of everything. How do you become a master of observation? Mm. It's exactly, you become a master of observation by observing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just well, like anything else. Mm. Just like anything else. I mean. I mean, I have sat with my body, Ben, for hours, and um, I have watched my mind run all over the place. And there are certain thoughts that you really want to believe in because they're, 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 you know, they're part of you. But when you start really overcoming your own personal limitations, and you're no longer knee-jerking to the people and conditions in your life because you've been sitting there in your meditation, 
and your body is throwing the kitchen sink at you and you're just saying that's all you got that's it we're gonna I'm gonna keep going sooner or later when you break free from the chains of those habits and those emotions and your body begins to liberate energy we've measured this and you start feeling joyful and free and you start your heart starts to open and you're in love with life and you're moved and this is a feeling that's not coming from anywhere outside of you it's coming from within you I guarantee you you'll stand in the presence of your greatest adversary your biggest betrayer the person that threw you under the bus and you'll look that person in the eye and you will have nothing but love for them because you'll see a part of yourself you used to be that you no longer are and the moment that happens you no longer belong to your past you belong to your future and and now you see it as a lesson instead of like holding a grudge you free them and you free yourself and you're you're on your way and and that's called evolution we only we only complain about our life when it's not working nobody complains about their life when they're joyful they, they, they just don't you only complain about your life when you're angry or bitter or frustrated so so a person starts working on regulating different states then they'll say god i feel so great i i'm not going to lose this feeling because of that person i'm just going to see them wow they're just i used to be like that i just totally get them and now you're free and, and i think uh that's the beginning of unconditional love. Beautiful. So uh, just to give the, the listeners a framework, I mean, ultimately, when you start working out, and you know this, um, small amounts of stimulus become stressful and difficult. And the more often you subject yourself to it, the deeper you can go into those uncomfortable depths. And eventually, anything you can subject yourself to just becomes familiar. And, and it's not I'm still uncomfortable sometimes, but familiar. And I'm guessing that's the, the depths that when you really need to go in and transcending the, the attachment to these physical feelings. Um, what are you thinking about when you're sitting? That's actually a pretty ironic question. Uh, when you're sitting down to um, initiate the meditation process, where is your thought process, if any? Well, I mean, gosh, I've been I've been doing this uh, for a very long time. So, um, and where I'm in Mexico right now, and we're teaching an advanced uh, follow-up here in, in uh, on the coast. And um, we'll have a group of people that are uh, adept at um, knowing how to do this. So, mm -hmm. so, so it depends on what I want. I always start my meditation by raising my energy. I always start with placing my attention in the center of my chest. Where you place your attention is where you place your energy. And then I start practicing slowing my breath down. And then I start cultivating an elevated emotion like gratitude or joy or freedom. And I sustain that state until I start feeling my heart Tell, tell me more what that means, cultivating gratitude or joy. Is it just bringing things, bringing thoughts of gratitude? I'm not feeling it. I'm feeling really grateful to be alive. I mean, and um, I'm doing that without any reason. I'm just doing it because I want to. And you're familiar and with it. I'm, I can do it because I've practiced it yeah. enough times. Just like people practice pretending being suffering all the time sure. it's the same thing I'm just trading the chemicals of suffering for every, the chemicals every child of can pretend that they're sad or they're asleep right why can't we pretend at the beginning that we're you know, we're joyful or we're grateful exactly mm -hmm. so then so then by doing that then I start raising my body's energy and then when I do that properly um, then I'm ready to create and so then my next step is to uh, get beyond myself and our research shows that if you take your attention off your body, you become nobody. If you take your attention off people in your life, you become no one. If you take your attention off the things you own, you're in nothing. If you take your attention off the place you have to go, you're in nowhere. If you take your attention off of time, you're in no time. That's the moment you become pure consciousness. That's the moment 
that you all of a sudden start connecting to that unified field or that quantum field that I talk about. So I, I go as deep as I can into that unified field and I keep surrendering deeper and deeper into it because the more I connect to it, the more whole I feel. And now I'm in, I'm in the place where all things manifest from. So then from there, it just depends on what I want. I may change my energy and tune into the potential of a, of a mystical experience or I may create uh, uh, a new opportunity. I don't know, whatever it is I'm working on, I'm just whatever I choose to do it. And then I, I sustain that for a period of time, and then uh, I surrender it to a greater mind and, uh, and uh, get up uh, ready, ready to have my day uh, be unusual and different. So I love the fact that you talk about manifesting, and you talk about some, some experiences like that in your book, in particular with your daughter. Can you tell me about, like, let me ask you the question. Is manifesting something you just kind of do at will now? Because, I mean, I believe that's, there's people out there who are capable of that. Is it almost like you think it, it happens? Well, I mean, there are certain, I challenge myself to deeper and deeper degrees. I mean, look, when you heal yourself, the next question is, can I heal another person? What else can I do? Yeah. And then once, and then that's, that's a great question. What else can I do? And so I think it's methodical. So um, I'm, I'm passionate about it. I do it quite a bit. I have uh, created amazing things in my life, some things people wouldn't even believe. Uh, and and but I'm not the only one. I mean, there's sure. so many students in our work that that got it down. So, so for me, there's not a whole lot of things that I want material. I mean, I've had a lot of material things, and it doesn't really change you. What I really want are those profound mystical moments yeah. that just your jaw drops and you just go, "Wow, I got this all wrong. Wow, I I got to really rethink life again." And, and I love those moments because uh, some conditioning tends to be removed, some veil tends to be taken away, and you get a clearer view of the spectrum of the way life is. So, Are you I mean, open I'm, to talking about one of those mystical experiences? Because I think I'm very interested, because like, you know, I believe that I have the capacity to manifest at some level, at least I'm in the beginning stages, and I'd love to hear what those uh, mystical experiences, <laughs> what, the, what the goal is, what the end objective for you is. Wow, I think we need a bottle of wine in about two hours let's for do that it. one. But let's... <laughs> I'm coming to Mexico. I need, I need a trip to Mexico. Get down here. Um, well, gosh, um, in my new book, uh, Becoming Supernatural, mm -hmm. I, I spend quite a bit of time uh, talking about the mystical moment and and activating. Look, if you have a mystical experience, we have the, we must have the biological systems in place in order to have those. So I break down those biological systems uh, with the different glands in the brain. But but when that system switches on, um, you are going to have a full-on sensory experience that is going to seem more real than you and I talking, but you're not going to be using your senses to have it. In other words, your inner world is going to be so transcendentally real that you're going to forget about this world that mm -hmm. you're living in right now. And the pineal gland begins to release metabolites and neurotransmitters that fit into the same receptor sites as melatonin, but they're an upgraded version of melatonin. Dimethyltryptamine? Dimethyltryptamine is yeah. one of the five. Yeah. But dimethyltryptamine, there's five. Uh, so dimethyltryptamine creates the lucid visioning, right? Mm -hmm. But then melatonin is also an antioxidant. So you get two metabolites that are upgraded uh, antioxidants that are way more powerful than melatonin. Anti-cancer, anti anti-aging, anti-heart disease, anti-stroke, anti-neurodegenerative, anti-inflammatory, you know, antimicrobial. Uh, you take melatonin, it's already relaxes the body. Now you have a benzodiazepine, which is Valium. Now your survival centers in your body are totally tuned down uh, and you're completely relaxed and present. 
you take the molecule, you tweak it again in the same chemical found in hibernating animals. It already helps you to sleep, but now it just suppresses all your drives, your sex drive, your appetite. Uh, it suppresses your preoccupation in the environment. Your body is now in stasis. So now your body is conserving energy and it's completely in the present moment. You take the molecule, you tweak it again, and you have the same chemical found in electric eels. The nervous system becomes highly activated, filled with energy. So it's activating those systems that causes you to slip into a world that transcends our senses that is very profoundly real that you exist in right now another one of you exists right now that's a Ben but but a very different different uh, experience of yourself so so I love those mystical experiences because when, when I have those uh, experience enriches the brain yeah. and experience produces emotion so after one of those events, it creates a long-term memory. And you're, when you come back to your senses, now you have the circuits in place to perceive a broader spectrum of reality because now your brain is wired to perceive what's always existed, but you didn't have the neurocircuitry in place to perceive it. So whether it's an out-of-body experience, whether it's an interdimensional experience, uh, whether it's a lucid, very profound um, uh, moment where you're uh, connecting to your your soul i mean it's just it goes on and on and on and and you only need to taste the one of those and you're not so interested in justin bieber or, or donald trump you know you, you might be interested in in just uh, something else absolutely and this is what started my journey is isn't it's just a glimpse into this world and so are you creating these these experiences on a somewhat regular basis during your meditation practices yeah, well, it just depends. Like, um, we'll run an event uh, this weekend here. It'll be uh, Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And the theme of this event is called Dreamtime. So we will induce mystical experiences for our student bodies, and they'll have some really profound, very profound moments. Uh, uh, and so we'll work on that. That'll be the theme. But like right now in my life, um, I, I spend so much time working on mystical experiences. Right now I'm working on something completely different. But if I were to get back into the mystical, I would wake up at four in the morning because that's the time when yeah. melatonin is at its height and that's the raw materials to create all those other metabolites. So uh, I still wake up very early to do my meditation, but my intent is not to create those mystical experiences. Although many times I have them and I'm not trying to have them. It's just the door that opens for me and I just kind of run with it. But, um, but uh, uh, I love the mystical because... Um, it's so intangible and yet it's so real and I, I just love the concept beautiful now I have to throw it out there so everyone obviously you're aware of everyone's uh, obsession and fascination these days with psychedelics um, how do you feel about people using those to experience these um, meditative states artificially well I think there's a few things about psychedelics and um, and um, uh, 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 medicines that uh, alter our consciousness um, first and foremost, I think it has to be done as a ritual. It has to be done in a very sacred way. You can't be, you know, uh, in the wrong. Yeah. yeah, you can't be in the wrong environment right. because you're inviting this similar energy. So, um, if you're going to do it, make it uh, ceremonial. Make it a ritual. Be there with somebody who's experienced that could help you. And if you're going to open that door, just understand that that's a door of perception that's opening to you, and that that plant medicine is facilitating that or the psychedelic is facilitating it. Now here's where I have a problem with it. I have a problem with it when people consistently do it 
to escape reality. Of course. And they can't function in their world. This is all about functioning in your world. Improving so, your world. Improving your world and functioning in your world. So, so if you can't function in your world, it has no value to you. So then a lot of people, they'll say, oh, this is my 57th you know, trip. And you're just kind of like, well, why are you doing 57? I mean, I mean, how's your world? How's your life? I mean, how are things going? And so some people, when they feel emptiness, when they feel scared, when they feel pain, when they feel confusion, they'll do a mind-altering drug because they'll think it's going to give them the answer. But what it really does is it, it gives them relief from the pain they're experiencing. But the moment they feel a relief from the pain they're experiencing, uh, they remember what caused it. So then when they feel that emptiness or their lack, their brain searches for what's going to make it go away. And then they start thinking about, you know, whatever the substance was. And now they're, they're creating an association. Now they're, now they're conditioning themselves. And this is where people get in trouble. So I would rather people use it in a celebration. I use it as a, as, as a celebration or an ritual where they can gain an insight about themselves and then they can do something with the insight. Insight never changes anything unless you do something with the insight. Some people, you can have an insight that your father was overbearing. You can have an insight that, uh, um, you know, that you're, that, you're, that you're a perfectionist or that you're, some trauma in your life caused you to be a certain way, but it doesn't, it doesn't change you. Uh, the, you have to actually, once you have the insight, to do something with it. So, so I don't mind it as uh, uh, intermittently or short term for people to get a different view of the world and themselves, but then they got to be able to function in the world and they got to take that piece with them. It's, it's a, it allows them to open the door to see that there's more to life and more to reality than we've known, but you got to still be able to do something with it. Sure. So one thing I want to kind of transition into, it's along the same lines, is the idea of unwinding all your uh, all your subconscious beliefs, all your subconscious limitations, all of your subconscious programming, is that something that primarily happens during these mystical experiences, during your deepest levels of meditation, or is that something that you have to sit with consciously and 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 find? Like ultimately, not people aren't always aware of like what happened to them as a child, or maybe there was some birth experience they don't know about, or something. You know, who knows? Yeah. How do you how do you find those and unwind them? Any 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 method you apply? Is it happening during the mystical experiences? Well, yeah. I mean, it, but it doesn't only happen during the mystical experience. And and I want to be really clear that. Um, the mystical is just one realm, mm -hmm. um, but but look, I mean, I I'm not the type of person that's going to ask you to talk about your childhood. I'm not the type of person oh, sure. that's going to ask you, um, you know, um, to to bring up issues from the past. I I don't think it's as important. What what's important is is the emotion. Okay. So so the emotion is the residue. It's the end product chemically of an experience. So if a person is living by the same emotion every single day, it means they're connected to their past, right? So when they work on overcoming the emotion and they learn how to get beyond it, the, the memory without the emotional charge is called wisdom, and that's the name of the game. So I never really care about the incident. It's, it's uh, incidental. Okay. What I care about is the emotion. So when a person comes up against their emotional belief and they think they can't go any further, and then they go a little further, just like a training. And when they have that breakthrough, they get downloads. We see it on brain scans when we measure it on the brain during meditation. All of a sudden, they'll get a download of information. And I know that person is downloading information about themselves, something really profound. And you'll see them well up emotionally. You'll see them feel something like something really profound has just happened to them. That, to me, 
is worth is worth uh, 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 all the gold in the world because that person in that moment is not only having an insight they're getting an upgrade biologically they're getting they're, they're connecting to something and the and the and the download is so profound it's not coming from their memory bank it's coming from the field and that field of information that's being downloaded into their nervous system is really reorganizing who they are so so I, I love the idea of a person getting beyond themselves and then when they get beyond themselves to be open to however it's going to happen. I mean, I, if you try to reproduce it, you're going to be in trouble because mm -hmm. you can't. You just got to have an intention and you have to surrender and there's got to be that delicate balance between intention and surrender. If you overintend, you're trying. If you over surrender, you're lazy and lethargic. It's that kind of razor's edge. Well, you just got to have an intention and keep surrendering it to a greater mind and keep trusting and just being open to the unknown. And then, boy, when you when you hit pay dirt, then all of a sudden it's always relevant to you because you're the one that's doing, you know, you're the one that's making the effort. And and that's when um, it transcends psychotherapy. It transcends uh, pharmaceuticals. You know, your nervous system is the best pharmacist in the world anyway. All of a sudden you start feeling amazing. And uh, and then all of a sudden you look back at your past and you say, I don't want to change anything. I understand why I had to have that experience. Now I'm free. That's, that's the moment that we're all waiting for, you know, or at least what we're creating. Mm -hmm. What do you feel about things like neurofeedback to kind of accelerate your ability to control um, your brain states? I, I love neurofeedback. I think it's a great tool. Um, we have a lot of, uh, of our... Um, People that are in uh, our work, that are, are scientists that do our measurements, they use a lot of neurofeedback. But you can ask those scientists um, when they see the type of brain changes that take place in a four-day workshop in our, in our events, they'll say, we never, ever see the changes uh, in neurofeedback as quickly as we see uh, in, in, the, in some of the work that, that we're measuring. So ours is kind of like... I love the principles. Uh, I just think it's a little bit more of a shortcut to get there a little faster. So, so we do, for example, we do seated meditations, we do standing meditations, we do walking meditations, we do lying down meditations, and and then doing it in all of those different positions, all of a sudden this person starts to become uh, the very person they're focused on becoming, and and that's the cool part. So, where are these mystical experiences happening? So, a lot of my listeners are scientifically oriented, and they're, they're curious about brain states. And we you know we live in a beta, and we're trying to get to alpha and delta. But when you talk about these um, downloads, or when you talk about a mystical experience, or when you talk about um, you know a truly meditative state, can you just walk through the uh, basic overview of, of the brain states, the, the states of excitation? Sure, that's a great question, Ben. So uh, you and I right now are in beta brainwave patterns. And in beta, your attention is on your body in space and time. You're, you're aware that you're in your body and you're in an environment and you're living in time. Mm -hmm. And the, the function of the brain is to create meaning and to create coherence between what's going on in our outer world and what's going on in our inner world. We're trying to make sense of that. Mm -hmm. And so what plugs us into our environment are our senses. When we're seeing, when we're hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, all that information is allowing us to access this three-dimensional world. If you didn't have any of your senses, you couldn't experience the 3D world. So, so in a sense then, when you're paying attention to your outer environment in your body, your brain waves are in what's called beta brain waves because it's got a lot of information to organize. So, but if I said to you, Ben, I forgot to tell you, but um, 
you're gonna, I'm going to give you a test on everything we talked about, and if you don't pass the test, uh, you know, you, you, I can't give you the interview. Well, you may pick up a little bit, and your brain may perk up a little bit more. The light bulb may get a little bit brighter, and you may focus a little bit more, and that's kind of a good kind of stress. But when you're angry and you're frustrated and you're impatient and you're depressed or anxious, your brain waves go three times as high into what's called the high beta brain waves. Now you're in survival. The brain is aroused. There's a, there's a threat. There's a stimulus. There's an unknown. There's something uh, you can't predict. Uh, you're losing control. There's something that's causing you to, your brain to get super aroused, which means pay attention more to your outer environment. Take care of your body. There's a threat. You've got a certain amount of time to do it. And people get locked into these high beta states, and they need narcotics. They need drugs. They need alcohol to kind of sedate their nervous system. Well, the moment you start changing your breathing, the moment you close your eyes, the moment we play soft music in the background, and you're all of a sudden less preoccupied with your body, with your environment and time, your brain waves slow down from beta brain waves to alpha brain waves. And in alpha, you start paying attention more to your inner world and less to your outer world. You start, you stop thinking with the voice in your head and you start imaging and pictures and scenes. And that imaginary state is what we call alpha. If your body starts to fall asleep and your mind is awake, that's called theta. That's a perfect hypnagogic state where you're very suggestible. If you go into delta, your body's in a catatonic state, you're unconscious most of the time, although we have certain measurements where we have people in delta and they're awake, and your body's in a restorative state. Now, when you get down, we've seen this in our research, when you start moving down into alpha and theta and the brain starts getting very coherent, very organized, brain starts to synchronize. The front of the brain starts talking to the back of the brain. The person is connecting. They're not analyzing and they're thinking. When the brain starts getting very organized in that alpha and theta state, something magical happens. All of a sudden, the theta and alpha state, low, low alpha and theta, starts to act as a carrier wave. And all of a sudden, the sympathetic nervous system switches on. And all of a sudden, energy from the body starts being released up into the brain. And the brain gets highly aroused, and they go into what's called gamma brainwave patterns. Now, now the arousal is not coming from the lion in the Serengeti or the coworker that's pissing you off. It's coming from your body's energy, and it's being released back up into the brain. And a gate at the brainstem opens up called the thalamic gate. And the sympathetic nervous system drives this energy right up to the limbic brain and then right up into the neocortex. And now the person is in that super aware or super conscious state. And the arousal is, in this case, very healthy instead of very unhealthy, like the hormones of stress. And the person is very lucid, and they're very clear, and they're more aware and more conscious than they've ever been. And if you're more aware, you're more conscious, then you have more energy, and all of a sudden the brain starts going into these very high energetic states. I mean, our energy measurements are sometimes 200 times normal in the brain sometimes 300 times normal. That person is connected. And, uh, and, and now their body is, is asleep. Body is completely relaxed, and they're, they're in bliss. They're, in, they're having an orgasm in their head. It's the only way I can describe it. Mm -hmm. and, and they're creating a long-term memory because it's so profound, and the gate opens up, and all of a sudden, now they're completely connected, and all of a sudden, ching, 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 we start seeing their brain just downloading data. It's just it's incredible. And we can say, we can now predict it. We can say, Oh, watch it. He's going to pop. He's going to pop in five minutes. We can tell that the person's going into coherence. They're moving down into theta, and we're like, 
ooh, and the next moment this should be good, and all of a sudden, boom, it's like a champagne bottle. And all of a sudden, they go right into that high gamma state, and they're, they're feeling so whole, they're so complete, they're so in love with life that it's impossible for them to want. They feel like they have everything they need in that moment. And when that happens, that's when magic starts to happen. The person starts really, really having some big, profound moments. So, so we know how to, at this point, induce that state, and we, we, um, we work on it. That's beautiful. So are, is it the type of thing that you're acknowledging with um, some electrical um, machinery to their head, or is it like observational just by their, their oh, no, physical no, no. state? No, 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 no. I mean, in our advanced workshops, uh, we've done 19 advanced workshops, mm -hmm. and we do quantitative analysis. We do quantitative EEGs. Mm -hmm. We've done probably close to 10,000 brain scans on our students. You come to our event. We scan your brain. We put you through four days of training. We scan your brain at the end of four days. I want to know the change sure. is just in your mind. It's in your brain. We study people during the meditative process uh, when we're measuring what they're doing inside of their head and when they're getting close and when they're not. We're measuring the heart. When you feel gratitude and love and kindness and compassion, your heart gets very organized and very coherent, and it produces a measurable magnetic field. We want our students, so we want to measure that to know the person's doing it. So I can say to you, Ben, you're doing it, or I can say, Ben, you're not doing it. So when we see a person that can sustain gratitude or joy or freedom for an extended period of time, it's becoming a skill. They walk out into their life, and they're not only—they're not just paying attention to their outer world; they're paying attention to this feeling because it's so good. So they say, "I'm not going to trade this feeling for anyone or anything." We measure uh, telomeres. We've measured genetic expression. We've got—we can prove that you can change your genes in just four days. Upregulate genes to suppress cancer, to to reduce aging, to stimulate stem cells to go to damaged areas of your body and repair it. Um, to activate the microtubules, the cellular structures of the cell, to stimulate your immune system. What we were able to do that in four days, turn on new genes um, to, to, um, to measure the immune system responses, neurotransmitters, uh, energy in the room, energy around people's bodies, because all of this information shows people how powerful they really are. And, that, and that's kind of why I wrote Becoming Supernatural, because, because common people are doing the uncommon, and the measurements are off the chart. And, and everybody's starting to figure this out, and, and um, now people are becoming less reliant on things outside of them and more, more uh, trusting of what, the resources that they have within them. So that was my exact next question, and you, you pretty much already answered it, but uh, I know this is a relatively new science, but are you seeing, my question was, are you f seeing or do you believe it's going to have a definitive <laughs> effect on longevity and health optimization? Well, the answer to that question is I think so. And we just, in our advanced workshop we just did in Palm Springs last month, we measured telomeres. And mm -hmm. telomeres are the, are the little uh, shoestrings on the end of your DNA that when a cell replicates, they shorten. And when people are under uh, psychological or emotional stress or any kind of stress, those telomeres tend to shorten a little faster. And so my theory is um, why not reverse it? Let's see if we can elongate them. So. Mm -hmm. We, we have uh, the data coming in this week, and um, gosh darn it, if those telomeres uh, lengthen to any degree, 10% means the person got 10% of their life back in four days, and, and um, I, do, I do absolutely believe it's possible, and, and I'm not going to stop measuring because um, I think the measurements kind of silence the critics. I mean, you can't tell me that you can't change your genes in four days. I know you can. You can't tell me that you can't change your brain waves and make it a skill. I know you can. So, so... Everyone's a skeptic, in... Joe. Everyone's always going to be a skeptic, right? Yeah, So, but, but when you see the research and you see the data, yeah, maybe not everybody can do it, but if you got 
50% of your community doing it, it's a pretty damn good sign that anything's possible. Tell me about Becoming Supernatural. I'm very curious. So I'm a huge fan of your first two books, uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself and You Are the Placebo, uh, both of which everyone should go out and get because they're literally life-changing. But I'm very curious to hear about what you're bringing us now. What's, where's it, what's your new brainchild? <laughs> well, this is, book is kind of like a labor of love for me because um, I've always stuck kind of in the this, in this scientific bandwidth uh, to keep uh, the peace to a certain degree, but sure. uh, with all the, all the measurements we've done and in, uh, in all of the scientific studies we've done over the last five years, I can tell you that uh, people are doing some pretty supernatural things. And so the book is really about the how-to. Every single chapter, there's uh, uh, quite a bit of content, but we are giving people meditations in every chapter to practice just about uh, their understanding how to induce the mystical experience, their understanding a breath, a specific breath to create gamma brainwave patterns, uh, they're learning about heart coherence, uh, they're learning about um, um, a walking meditation, and they're learning different ways to come at it so that they can begin to express a greater uh, degree of themselves. And, and, and the, the measurements that we show in the book are absolutely supernatural. So, uh, so it, it kind of validates this idea that we're more powerful and unlimited than we've really thought along. So for all my listeners, what's step one? So we're not going to take them from very egocentric and uh, physically oriented to the end mystical journey overnight, but what's step one that you suggest and recommend that everyone gets on tomorrow when they wake up? Look, I mean, it's really simple. I don't have a problem with you uh, putting your attention on your body. I think you should. I think you should really take care of your temple and make sure that you treat it really well. But there's a time when you have to get beyond it. And if you can't beyond, get beyond it, then um, that, that's your identity. So, so I think that people come to this work for many different reasons. Some people come for health conditions or diseases. People come because they want a new life. People come because they want answers. But I don't really care what a person comes for because ultimately when they start connecting, their values change, and yep. they start feeling differently, and they change, and, and um, they still have a great body, and they still have a, a healthy body, but in addition to that, they have a healthy mind, and and um, so um, I think really a great start for people is to wake up in the morning and ask themselves the simple question, what is the greatest ideal of myself that I can be today? What is the greatest expression of myself? And really sit down and decide who they want to be when they open their eyes. and. Just the act of closing your eyes and thinking about it and making choices differently than you typically do and, and rehearsing them and, and actually follow through and doing them is going to lead you to a whole new life over time. So it's not that mystical because the mystical is the side effect. It's the phenomenon of this work. The, the, the real thing is to, to, to have a, a more profoundly enriched life where you're in it and you love it and you want more of it. That's, uh, that's what I want for everybody. And, for some people, it may be the mystical. For some people, it may be a million dollars or ten million dollars. I don't care. Right. I just want them to create it. Right. Just whatever you want, just get busy creating it and prove to yourself really how powerful you are. And and um, we got a lot of people doing it. That's great. So it's I'm on the right track then because I sent out literally an email yesterday saying exactly that. Just put it in your mind and, and like decide what it's going to be before you sit down and then create. Um, and. and, and yeah, and and an experiment. I mean, be yeah. the scientist in your life. I mean, really start looking to see if you change your thoughts and feelings and you change your energy, 
and and keep it keep your energy up for the entire day what weird and different things begin to show up i mean it could be that simple and the moment you notice those changes you're going to want to do it again and that's exactly what i want people to do yeah and you know what meditation's upgraded my training so much imagine having the ability and you know this to be able to you know come into gym and completely block out everything that exists except for that one specific thought which for, for me is like how can i contract this muscle how can i specifically execute this muscular contraction and, and my ability to train has gone through the roof my efficiency has, has gone massively up uh, and my body's uh, massively improved with much less work and much less time and that's ultimately what we're all about right like let's enjoy this process gain control of this process and and love every aspect of your life so, i agree i agree i agree thank you so much where can everyone reach you actually let me ask this question first how do i come to one of your seminars you're, you're i want to come to one of these four-day retreats Sure. I mean, um, quickly, um, we have a progressive workshop that is uh, usually a Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, we have one in Austin in December of this year. It's our last progressive workshop we're going to do uh, because there will be an online course uh, after this year. I'm taking my four-day events, and we're finishing those this year, and we're doing a week-long event, uh, week-long retreats, because, you know, by Saturday when people are breaking through on the four-day event, they have to send them home send on home, Sunday. Right. Yeah. And I just thought, well, hell, if I have three more days, we have, well, we'll be doing some pretty cool things. So sure. so the website's drjoedispenza.com. Um, we're doing a bunch of, we have a, an event in Santa Cruz in November. I'm in New York uh, in next week. Uh, and then I'm in, I'm in Europe quite a bit um, uh, for the rest of the year. But, um, yeah, just come on, uh, jump in, and uh, we'll make sure that uh, you, uh, you have a good ride. I'm sure it will be. Sir, thank you so much for your time, Joe. And uh, for everyone that wants to link to Dr. Joe's books, I will provide links in the show notes. And definitely uh, download his books on Audible because they are absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Joe. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, Ben. Appreciate your time. Join us on BenPokolsky.com to learn the cutting-edge techniques to take control of your body, your brain, and create your greatest life.